Well, good morning and welcome to Stanley Park Baptist Church. It is good to see you here this morning and uh, to be together to worship the Lord here in spirit and in truth uh, and in person, which is so good. This is what we need to be doing, and we're so grateful to be here to- together today. Um, I have a prop that I'm going to grab, so I guess I'll throw this on because I don't want to... I'm going to grab something from this room here. All right. Look at that beauty. Hopefully our, our people at home can see this. Not sure if... Well, we can't get it close up. You don't want to. Don't worry. It's a kitty shovel. That's what I'm holding in case it's blurry at home. Um, this belongs to, uh, or belonged to our boys. They're too big for it now. But uh, I want to tell you the story of, uh, of our neighbor. Let's call, his, let's call him Gord. Uh, Gord, when we moved onto the street where we live, we were told about Gord and his goodness. Gord owns like a wonderful top-of-the-line snowblower. Uh, and he is, he is such a kind Man, such a kind neighbor, because Gord will go around the neighborhood, and after a, a snowfall, he, he will just do everyone's walkways and driveways, and he does it with pleasure. He does it with a smile on his face, and uh, just, just a really special man. And so we were told about Gord when we moved onto the street. Oh, this is great, because you don't live far from Gord, so when it snows, you're going to be looked after. Well... It was a few years ago, and it was during the Christmas break, and, and we had received, we'd just been dumped with snow the night before. I remember waking up this morning, and the ground was covered, and, and you guys know what I'm talking about. Not just like a blanket, we're talking like 12 or 13 or 14 blankets worth of snow. It was just a couple feet uh, of course, the boys were so pumped because this means, like, they were already off, so school day wasn't the issue. It just means we get to go out and play in the snow. And so uh, I looked out, and I, I had to get somewhere, and, uh, of course, the car was there. And, and so I said, okay, boys, here's what you got to do. You got to go out and shovel the driveway. Not realizing just how much snow there was. So like, okay, they seemed okay with that at first. Jonathan, you remember this? So... We got them, they got all bundled up. They're a little smaller at the time. They got all bundled up. And, and I remember that we, they're standing now. They each had their weapon in hand in the closed garage. And now the garage door goes up. And the, <laughs> and the snow was like two feet high. It was huge. And they're, they're just like this tall, right? And they're looking, it's just this wall of snow as the garage goes up. And they kind of look back and I'm, I'm looking out the door. I'm like, yeah, go ahead, boys. Get it done. Shovel the driveway with these little beauties. So they just start going at it. And you know what they do? They, like they're in the garage because the snow is right up to the garage. They just start <laughs> throwing it in the garage, right? Like, whoa, 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 hold on. I assume they knew, knew how to do this. I hadn't, okay, no, here's, here's how you do it. So I grab my larger shovel and shovel forward and throw outwards. Not back. Um, anyways, we got that settled, and, and they just started going out. And I said, listen, boys, I'll be out in a few minutes. I'll just go get changed, and then I'll come out and join you. So I went out. I went back in, got changed, come back out. And 
I just, I'll, I'll never forget it because nothing had happened. It was like they were, they were, they were this, just going with all their gusto and like the snow pile was not moving anywhere. The, like the two feet seemed like three feet now. It was just like, how is, how is there more snow than when you start? It's not snowing anymore. They were just going at it. And I remember Theodore, he turned to me and he's like, Dad. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, I'm sorry, guys. I, I hope I didn't break that. Um, no, don't throw it in the garage, right? That's, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set that there. Um, anyways, sorry, guys. I might have just, you can take it out of my pay. Um, so so I, I came out, and, and Theodore just said to me, Dad, like, this, I don't think we made a dent in it. This is impossible. And, and it was shortly after that, we hear this sound. And then we look, and sure enough, like there's this, the smoke fan, right? Just Gord, like it's it's the snow, it's blowing, and Gord is coming along down down the the sidewalk towards our house, and he must have seen the boys, and and so now he comes up, and within five minutes, our whole driveway was clear. You could see right down to the, oh, it's amazing. Lord bless Gord. Um, I share that because. It reminds me, or it makes me think about the way that we often go about our mission as Christians, specifically the Great Commission, which is supposed to be our priority as followers of Jesus. The way we've worded the Great Commission here in our mission statement is, Making disciples. We exist to make disciples who become mature and productive Christians. And the thing is, those boys, it's like we, we think we, we got to do it. We got to do that on our own with, with, with our own manpower, with our own energy and our own know-how, and, and we just go at it. But that is not how we are going to accomplish what God has called us to do. Um, every couple of years, it's important that we, we come back to this, this passage today, or passages like it. Now, there are four sort of great commission passages in the Gospels. We see one in Mark 16. We see another one in Luke 24. We see another one in, in John, very short one there. Jesus said, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. That's how he puts it in John. I'm sending you. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to go. But the most detailed account comes in, in Matthew's gospel. And, and so we're just going to look there once again today because I'm afraid, and, and the pandemic hasn't helped matters, but I'm afraid that, that we can easily lose touch with our calling, with our mission with the purpose of our life as a follower of Jesus. And we need to be reminded of this. So if you'll turn with me to Matthew 28, um, I'm just going to bring you up to speed on, on what's happened at this point. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. He, he rose from the dead as the triumphant Lord of the universe, and he would soon be leaving his disciples to return to heaven, to the Father. And here on this unspecified mountain in Galilee, Jesus is about to give his disciples his final instructions, one final command, one last commission for what 
they're supposed to do while he's gone until he comes again. And so here's what we read. Beginning at verse 16, Matthew 28. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Jesus' disciples took those words seriously. He told them to go into all nations, everywhere, and make disciples, and that's what they did. That was their focus for the rest of their lives, many of which were laid down. They laid down their lives in pursuit of this mission. So then what is God's mission for the church today? It's the same thing. It hasn't changed. The mission of the church, the mission of our lives as individual followers of Jesus is to extend God's kingdom by making disciples. As C.S. Lewis once said, making little Christs. This is, this is how he put it, stressing the importance of the Great Commission. C.S. Lewis said, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ to make them little Christs. If they're not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose than to make disciples. Um, if only believers today took Jesus' final words as seriously as those early disciples did. Last week, I attended uh, what was called the Life Shared Evangelism Summit. It was hosted by Alpha, an online event, reminding people that, that we are at a critical time in history right now as his church. And that the tagline for the whole summit was this, Jesus' last command must be our first priority. Jesus' last command must be our first priority. And yet that's so easy for us to forget. Even for those who've been Christians a long time, especially for those who've been Christians a long time and have heard this passage preached a thousand times. It's easy to lose focus on the fact that making disciples is still our purpose in life. It's especially hard to remember that during this last year and a half where so many Christians have been cut off from other believers, right? We've been cut off from in-person worship and, and fellowship and service in the church. But my friends, you know this, the Great Commission never gets put on hold. It can't be quarantined because God can't be quarantined. God knew what we would be facing. He knew the limitations that this pandemic would put on the church's ability to gather and to send missionaries overseas. And even though we haven't been able to go and send people in the same way, my friends, God is at work in new ways, in, in new, using new means, giving us new opportunities to share the gospel. And He's at work in the hearts of people in every corner of the world. No matter what's going on out there, no matter what's going on in our lives, our primary responsibility, you 
and me, both individually and collectively as the church, our primary responsibility is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. So I just, for a couple of minutes today, I just want to zoom in for, for a couple minutes on this incredible commission here in Matthew 28, because there's four main verbs highlighted here. And, and sometimes we, we, we misunderstand our role in carrying out this commission. And so I, I think it's important just for a few minutes to look at these four verbs. And here, here they are. Go, make disciples. How? By baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey. Okay. Now, most English translations, it appears that go is the main or imperative verb. And make disciples by baptizing and teaching are the, are the participles which describe going. But that's not actually the case here. The Greek, in the Greek, the main imperative verb is make disciples. Though to be precise, there's actually no noun in the, in the Greek text at all. It just says disciple. Disciple, the verb. That's what we are called to do. So the question is, what is a disciple? Well, the word means learner. A disciple in Jesus' time was someone who would attach themselves to a Jewish rabbi and learn from them, follow them. They, they were sort of the protege. They would listen not only to what the rabbi said, but they would follow what they did. Uh, okay, so we're to disciple. And here's the thing, as Jesus' disciples we're never fully learned. We're always and ever learning because Jesus is no ordinary teacher. He is God incarnate. He is God's only son. We will spend the rest of our lives learning, but that's not all a disciple does. A disciple also makes disciples. Those aren't two separate things. Being a disciple and making disciples, it's all part and parcel of the same call. We are to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Multiplying. That is what each of us are called and equipped to do. Um, how? By going, baptizing, and teaching. Okay, word go. Let's just look at that. Just two, two letters, go. It has three meanings. <laughs> How can a little tiny word have three meanings? And they're, they're all really important here. Uh, this word means to go literally, as in leave, go, get going now, on your way. It also means to go about your life, as in one's lifestyle. This is how you're to go. This is how you're to live. But it was also a euphemism for going to one's death. And all three are at work here in this word. All three apply. The bottom line here is that Jesus' disciples, they were to go intentionally in order to disciple all nations. Now, look at that word nations for a second. That's where we get our English word ethnicity. It means people groups. It's commonly translated Gentiles, but, but it basically means other people, other people from, from all over the world. That's what's in view here. And that's what these Jewish disciples were now supposed to do, to disciple people outside of their own ethnicity, literally all over the world, everywhere. This would be their mission for the rest of their lives, which meant they would have to go to their death for the cause of Christ. That's what the word witness means. We get our 
English word martyr from martyrian. That's what it is to be a witness, to be ready to lay down your life for Jesus. The next participle describing the making of disciples is baptizing, okay? Baptizing, which means, we know, immersing in water. It's a symbol of of allegiance or ownership. And Jesus makes clear that it was to be done in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He purposely mentions all three members of the Godhead here. It's very important. In the early church, baptism was an unmistakable act that marked a person as a follower of Christ. As Jesus died and was buried, so a Christian in the waters of baptism is, is immersed symbolically into his death. And then just as Jesus Christ rose victorious, physically rose from the dead, when, when a Christian comes up out of the waters of baptism, that symbolizes their resurrection with Jesus Christ. What a powerful picture that is. It, it, was, it was the sign of allegiance. I am following Jesus for the rest of my life. I believe in him. Here's what he's done. He's changed me. He's saved me. I'm his. He is mine. I will follow him unto death. So when those first century Christians took that step of identifying themselves with the death and resurrection of Jesus, they were publicly declaring their allegiance to him, which immediately marked them for martyrdom. You see, all the hostility that the world had toward Jesus would now be directed at them. They knew that. Baptism was a declaration that a person's life, their identity, their priorities were now centered on Jesus Christ. And their mission was his mission, the Great Commission. So baptism, so important. The powerful act of identifying with Jesus, it's absolutely essential for every follower of Christ. The final participle describing the making of disciples here is the word teaching. Okay, teaching, simple, right? Okay, you teach, you, you tell them what Jesus said. That's what we're supposed to, what did Jesus say? We've got over 500 imperatives, commands of Jesus, recorded in the four Gospels alone. Now, to teach that to others, that's doable. We can do that. It's going to take a long time. It's going to take a lot of work. There's a lot to cover, but, but we can impart knowledge. That's, that's part of what that word teaching means, imparting knowledge. But it's more than that. It actually means modeling, living as an example, not just of what Jesus taught. What did, he, what did he say? Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. It's one thing to teach someone what Jesus said. It's another thing to teach them how to obey. How do you do that? The best way to do that is to show and tell, to, to live a life so that others can see how you follow Jesus, follow in my footsteps. That's what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Follow me as I follow Jesus. We should all be able to say that to those that God has placed in our lives to disciple. Follow me as I follow Christ. Okay, so we've got the imparting of ideas and, and that modeling that, that example that we have to set, that's, that's what teaching entails here. So then to sum it all up, Jesus commissions his followers to disciple all nations, all people everywhere, by going, baptizing, and teaching them to obey everything he ever commanded. Done. Sweet. Easy. No. Not at all. Look again at verse 17. This is really important. We, we go right past this. When they saw him, this is his disciples, they worshipped him. 
But some doubted. Some doubted. Some, some doubted what was going on. Some doubted what, what was about to happen. Is Jesus, this is Jesus. Let's just put ourselves in the disciples' sandals or whatever they were wearing on their feet for a second here. The disciples had left everything to follow Jesus. Everything. And just when they're coming around to grasping that, okay, Jesus is in fact their Messiah, he's the Savior that they've been waiting for, Jesus was crucified on a cross. So naturally, the disciples were crushed. They're devastated. And so what do they do? They, they scatter. They, they flee. Only to discover three days later that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. The Savior who was crucified, he's alive now. Physically alive. They could see him and touch him, and they did. Standing right in front of them. Their world had been turned upside down, my friends. Imagine then being told shortly after that by the resurrected Jesus himself that you would now be responsible for carrying out the rest of his mission to make disciples of all people groups everywhere on earth. Okay. That's no small feat. That's a pretty big ask. Wow, they, I'm sure they were dumbfounded, the disciples, at this, overwhelmed. What, uh, how, how can we possibly do what Jesus is saying here, what he's commanding here? They're just regular guys, these disciples, just like us, ordinary, unsophisticated, with no idea what to do next. If the Great Commission sounds impossible, it's because it is. It's impossible for us on our own. We will never, in our strength, with our ability, no matter how many books we read, no matter how much studying we do, no matter how many courses we run, we will never on our own be able to accomplish what God has called us to. Um, and I think this is a really important point for us that we need to really understand. Because what do we do? Okay, therefore, go make disciples. Let's start. Let's just start going and doing it. Okay, we we feel that onus. So I'm I'm just going to try everything I can. I got it, man. I got to get this done. I got to start sharing. I got to start teaching. I got to okay. But hold on a second. We're missing something. They were missing something. There are two Greek words that I want to teach you today uh, that will help us understand the, the missing piece. And this is what I would call the, the some have used this, this uh, phrase. I'm going to say the great omission of the great commission. And it's namely this. Look at, look at this. Verse 18, we, we skip past this so quickly. Here's what Jesus said, though. Okay, before he gives the commission, he says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not to you. Not to you. It's been given to me. All authority. Okay, what does that word authority mean? This is a really, really important word here. 
The, the word in the Greek translated authority is, is this word, exousia. Exousia means authority. Also translated power, but, but here it's, it really does focus on authority. That is the right, the warrant to do something. Jesus had been given all authority. Not some, not, not a lot, all. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Authority. Um, but there's also another word, dunamis, power. Dunamis is where we get our, our word in English, dynamite. Dynamite, power, okay? Two, two very important points here. Um, authority and ability or power. Okay, Jesus' authority is a really important theme that runs all throughout the gospel, specifically the gospel of Matthew. We see a lot of it there. In Matthew 7, we read Jesus, he taught with authority. That is, he didn't have to quote anybody. He just taught. He knew God's word. He was God in the flesh, and so he taught. He spoke with absolute authority. He's not quoting any rabbi. He's God. He's, he's divine. Okay, here's what he taught. He... Uh, he acted under authority. This is what we read in, in Matthew 8. In Matthew 9, we see his authority over disease and his authority to forgive sin when he healed a paralyzed man and pronounced his sins forgiven. Jesus had authority to cast out demons. Jesus had authority to raise the dead. In John 17, we see that Jesus Christ had authority to give eternal life. My friends, our Savior, Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of all lords. He has absolute authority over everything, over every square inch of creation, extending over animals and plants, over every human being, over everything. That is his authority. And here in Matthew 28, Jesus, by his ultimate authority, commissions his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. Okay. So, here you go. With Jesus' authority behind them, what more could they need? Jesus gave them his permission. He gave them the warrant, the authority to go. So then, what? Let's get going then, right? Let's go. Let's do it. Right? Wrong. No. Not yet. In Acts 1, Jesus makes clear, do not go yet. He said this, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait Wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay. He says, wait. He didn't tell them to get going, but to hold on. Why? Because the Great Commission will never be accomplished by human efforts or wise planning or a great church program, even though those things can be very good, very important. I mentioned those two Greek words, Jesus' authority, exousia, and dunamis, his power. And this is what we read. This is the other great commission in Acts 1.8. You will receive, there it is, power. This is Jesus' promise. You will receive Dunamis, dynamite power, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Okay, let's just make that connection here. What was the power for? To be his witnesses. 
in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. His dynamite power is for the purpose of our witness. Through our lives to point people to the, the cross, to show people Jesus through our lives as his Holy Spirit, the power of God himself, rules in us and through us. Okay. So I'm going to put it bluntly. Um, if you were a follower of Jesus, no matter how young or how old, if you're not actively participating in fulfilling the Great Commission, you're not obeying God's call on your life. Um, now, we've reasons. We've reasons why we, we hesitate, don't we? We've got excuses that we can give. I got a lot going on right now in my life. A lot of other things that really need my focus. Maybe it's, you know, I just, I feel, I, how? How do I do this? How am I supposed to share my faith? How am I supposed to disciple others when I feel so ill-equipped myself, when I don't really know enough? What, what will I say? What will, what will I do? What am I supposed to do? Maybe it's because we're just too busy, distracted with what we've got going on that we fail to listen to the Holy Spirit when He prompts us to share, when, when He opens up an opportunity. Or as I said, maybe it's because we're just we're plain done out. I mean, this pandemic's done a lot of damage to a lot of people. We're just exhausted. And maybe we've failed to remember just the urgency of this command. The bottom line is this. We'll always be able to give excuses, but none of them are valid. There's no exceptions. This is not the, the great suggestion. It's the great commission. So my question for all of us today, because I think a lot of us are in that same boat, what do we do? How, how do we recommit to the primary purpose that God has given us as individuals and collectively as a church to make disciples? Well, the first thing, in order to fulfill Jesus' last commandment, to make that our first priority, well, that's the answer. We have to make it our first priority. Because for many of us, it's just not, is it? Maybe it was at one time. Maybe some days it seems to be there. So what I'd say is let, let's pray. Let's ask God to search our hearts. Uh, to, to present Him our priorities. And ask Him to, to reveal what is stopping us from obeying this command. And by the way, it's, it's not, doesn't mean getting on a, a plane or a boat. <laughs> and going across the world. But seeing your family, seeing your workplace, seeing your apartment building, seeing the grocery store, wherever it is that you are going, seeing that as the mission field where God has placed you, where God is sending you to show His love, to share the gospel, to make disciples. My friends, if Jesus' last command is not our first priority, let's ask God to fill our hearts with a passionate desire to make it so once again. In light of all that He's done for us, to love Him first by committing or recommitting our lives to sharing the gospel and making disciples of Christ wherever we go. That's number one. In order to fulfill Jesus', Jesus last command, it must be our first priority. Number two, in order to fulfill Jesus' last command, 
we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. We must be filled. It's not just a matter of, okay, this is my focus and this is what we need to be set on, but it's a matter of being empowered to actually do it. We can do nothing without the Holy Spirit. Nothing. Nothing good. Uh, Nothing that God has called us to do. He is the one that guides us into all truth and gives us the power to do what the Bible says. And so, my friends, it means being sensitive to what he tells us to do and being ready to obey whatever he would have us do. And I think learning to be sensitive to the Spirit means being, being in constant communication with, with him. You know that, that hymn we like to sing, uh, Spirit of the Living God? Fall fresh on me, melt me, mold me, fill me, use me, just so that I'm constantly aware of his presence, of his power that's at work here. We have his word to guide us. We know what he's, he's given us our marching orders, but he's also given us the power to do what it says by his spirit. So being sensitive to the spirit, talking to the spirit, being, being open and ready and, oh, there's an opening. Someone's asked me something. It's, it's an opening to a conversation. And just allowing the Spirit to lead you, trusting in Him. Even though we don't, I haven't taken all the courses, I I don't have everything memorized in the Bible, but He's given you His Spirit. He's given you His Word. He's promised you that He will be with you. By the way, the Holy Spirit is the literal fulfillment to the end of the Great Commission. I will be with you always because He's here. He's in us always until we are with the Lord. He has indwelt us with His Spirit for those of us who are followers of Christ. Okay. Thirdly, in order to fulfill Jesus' last command, we must go where we already are. Uh, Share the good news with your sphere of influence. Build relationships. Model obedience wherever you are already. God has not placed you there by accident where you live or the, the contacts that you have. Each one of us are where we are because God has put us there, put us there to fulfill the Great Commission. There's no mistake, there's no accident about the people in our lives and our ability to to build relationships with them, to connect with them, to share with them the hope that we have in Christ. Sometimes Christians can fall in the trap of thinking that making disciples of all nations, again, it's like an overseas thing. Though global missions are an incredibly important part of fulfilling the Great Commission, they always will be, we must remember that all nations includes our own. So parents, I'd say that starts with our our own children, right? That is where we must put the majority of our disciple-making energy every day into teaching our children what God's Word says, training them in the way that they should go, showing them how an obedient follower of Jesus Christ lives, so that through our lives they can taste and see God's love along with all the fruit of the Holy Spirit for themselves. For those without children, the same thing applies. Though your disciple making energy may be focused on your neighbors, like Gord, or or the person who lives in the apartment next door. It, It might be your coworkers, the circle that you have there, even if you're not meeting in person or if you're working from home. On those Zoom calls, taking time at the end of a meeting just, just to connect with a coworker, checking in, how are you doing? It may be family members 
for some of us, for many of us. We, we have family members who don't know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, who are living without the treasure that we have in our hearts. My friends, we hold the key to salvation. How can we not share that with those who are lost, those who are hurting, those who need the hope that we have found in Christ? So I would challenge all of us to ask God to show you five people, five people in your life who need to know Jesus or who need to grow in their relationship with Jesus and then begin or continue, because I know many of you are already doing this, begin or continue to pray for those people, loving them, teaching them, serving them, praying for opportunities to let your light shine before them so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Um, through our example of a Holy Spirit-filled life of obedience to Jesus, my friends, we can show the life-changing truth of the gospel at work in our lives. God can show it through us. Again, he's placed each of us where we are for a purpose to carry out the greatest of all commissions. Every Christian has been given their marching orders, and my friends, there's no doubt about it. God's mission for his church on this planet is to make disciples. Take the gospel to all people everywhere at all costs. But just to be clear, he hasn't just thrown a manual in our laps and said, go to it. He hasn't just put a little shovel in our hands and said, good luck, get your sleep tonight because you're going to need strength. He has given us the dynamite power of the Holy Spirit of the living God, the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. He has given us everything that we need for this life and for godliness and for the carrying out of the great commission that he has given us that needs to be our priority. How do we love God? What, what are the commandments? Great commandments, greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. What's the second? Love your neighbor as yourself. How do we love our neighbors? By sharing with them the gospel, by showing them tangibly the love of Christ. So my friends, this is our mission. This is what we are here for. So I'm gonna ask you, is the last command that Jesus gave your first priority? I'm just going to round this out by repeating our church statement, and I'm going to add a couple pieces here that I think are really important. <laughs> by the authority of Jesus Christ, the exousia of our Savior, and by the dunamis of the Holy Spirit, the power of God's Spirit in us, we are to make disciples who become mature and productive Christians for the kingdom and glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to say thank you today. Thank you for being patient with us. Father, for indeed being long-suffering. God, we have fallen short of your glory. Father, for many of us, we, we have quickly forgotten the call that you've placed upon us. It's easy, Lord. You know the excuses we make. You know that the busyness of our lives, you know what's going on. But Father God, today I pray, Holy Spirit, fill us, use us, melt us, mold us, help us to be ready, ready and willing to go 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that you've commanded us. Lord, help us to obey everything that you've commanded us so that we can model what it looks like. Fill us, use us however you would love, Lord, in sharing your love, in shining the light of Christ into the darkness of this world. Father, there are people in each one of our lives, people that we need to be praying for more, people that we need to have in our line of sight and be looking to share the gospel with. And so, Lord, I pray you'd empower us to that end. Give us this desire if it's not there. If, if the flame has gone out, Father, relight the fire in us. Father, and help us to realize that this is not a mistake, what has happened in our world, that you are indeed continuing to move forward and calling us to follow you into new territory, to share the gospel, to show your love, to shine the light. So, Father, help us do that by the power of your Holy Spirit. In the awesome name of Jesus, amen. As we uh, uh, come to uh, close to this service, we're going to sing this song, Shout to the North. And uh, uh, let's stand to do that. Let's stand, let's stand together. I'm going, to ask, um, I'm going to ask the men in the room to sing the first verse with me. I'm going to ask the women in the room to sing the second verse. And then we will all sing the third verse uh, together. In fact, the rest of the song together. So let's do that together and remind ourselves of why we are here and why the Lord has sent us as after we have heard this message this message this morning. Shout to the north and the south. 
sing to the east and the west. Jesus is Savior to all. Sing to the east and the west. Jesus is Savior to all, Lord of heaven and earth. Lord of heaven and earth. Lord of heaven and earth. Amen. I want to thank you once again for joining us in our in-person service of worship today and want to pray God's blessing over you as you go. And this is from Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, now and forevermore. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you.